All right. Oh, you know what just happened? Um, UPS, a poor UPS guy. We ordered Ethan a toy from Amazon, mm. and it every toy now has a, a demo mode. Right. It starts doing its its shtick. Yeah. On the shelf. Some of the women have that when you pass by and they start like buy me or whatever. Right. Right. Uh, so this poor toy was activating activating itself because the box was a little bit nudged in and it was pressing the demo button <laughs> and it was like one of those uh, turrets type of a plush turret talking robot things from um, uh, Portal the video game Portal okay. so the the, the the UPS driver must have been sitting there for hours with this box screaming at him like, are you still there? <laughs> Come out and play. It's like the creepiest Chucky thing. And it must have been playing there, getting on his nerves. It's not like he could open the box yeah. and shut it off. I got just... to give him some money for Christmas now. Yeah, you, you got to You got to take care <laughs> of the UPS, man. Got to take care of him. Poor guy. He's at your house five, five days a week, right? Oh, yeah, we get packages all the time. You just order, like, $3 worth of stuff and just have it delivered. And it's, like, a battery, and it comes in, like, this massive box. Like, you could put, you could put a mattress in it. I know. I, you know, for a while, Amazon was getting better about that, I thought. But now I feel like they've gotten worse again. I don't know. Walmart is the worst with that stuff. We order a lot of, like, like household items and stuff from Walmart because mm-hmm. the delivery... Um, was faster here than than Amazon, and they're really? just crazy with the packaging. They will you order boxes, it'll come wrapped in like fourteen levels of other boxes. <laughs> oh um, my goodness! I love it. So you're back from MicroConf, right? MicroConf. What's been going on at MicroConf? Oh, I guess we should say I'm Andre. That's Ian. I'm Ian. That nobody's confused. When are we going to stop doing this nonsense? I don't know. We're, I think we can let. It, I think we can let it go for a little while. Right. Uh, then we'll let them. We'll, we'll start saying. Maybe we'll say it like every third episode or something. Can't say it every episode. There's thousands of people now listening to every show, and uh, my guess is more and more of them won't bother listening to the early ones and like have no idea who we are. Oh, right, so microphone. Yeah, so microphone. So like that. That kind of segues in there because. Uh, Pretty much every so I gave a talk there as existing listeners will be aware, and uh, yeah, what, like the first thing I did was ask people to raise their hands if they listened to Bootstrapped, and uh, everybody did. I mean, like literally just about everybody there listens. So that was pretty crazy. Uh, I didn't like in the after party. I talked to tons of listeners, so that was really cool. Thank you all for listening. Um, so we had a couple of bits of interesting feedback that I haven't shared with you. So I've, I've saved it all, saved it all for the podcast here. Goodies. All right, go ahead. All right. So first, multiple people, and I thought this was shocking, but I don't know if it's just subliminal and we don't like notice it anymore. Multiple people uh, pointed out how foul mouthed we are, and oh, I don't yeah. think we're that foul mouthed. I mean, you curse. No, I'm I'm awful. Yeah, and, but and more curse, so on like, the show than in real life. I would never say that we're foul mouth. Like I don't know. To me, like you occasionally will drop a, a foul word, like once an episode maybe. But like to me, oh. like if you're gonna say foul mouth, I feel like that's like continuous bad language. Like Dice Clay, like he's foul mouth. You know what I mean, I I I love profanity. 
<laughs> I really, really do. I'm like, like it's uh, I like it to a level of, of like an art form. <laughs> I, I love profanity. I love profanity in other languages. Italian profanity is like, is like the best. Yeah. But no, but, but it's like, um, it's, yeah, it's bad, I guess. We're gonna well, see, this them. is a total New York City thing. Cause, like, my father grew up in the city, and, like, that's a badge of honor. Like, to be able to, like, curse in multiple languages is a very important skill to have. Because <laughs> you don't want somebody saying something at you, and you don't understand what they're saying. So you at least have to know the curse words. So I think that's where this is coming from. But Yeah, I don't know. It's just, you know, sometimes you could say something, and it's uh, vanilla. And then you could say something with just the right piece of profanity in there and it's it's just sublime <laughs> comics do this all the time and like not just for the sake of being profane but like it's it's almost part of the comedic timing when mm. you phrase something so that it's perfectly balanced and it has that piece of profanity in there or something that just adds a little bit of something extra to it that it's 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 just it makes it just that it makes it crafted rather than just something that's said Anyway, um, I yeah, I, I talk, I, I, I do that way too much in this show, I think. But see, I don't, I don't, know. I don't think it's like. I mean, I think it's more than nothing, and I do, you know, worry about it sometimes. But at the same time, I don't think it's, you know. But I see. To me, I took it more as like I, I, I take it more as when I think about it, it's more like. Okay, if you're listening to it with small children, like it's enough because like it's probably once or twice an episode where you would say, okay, maybe I'm not going to like listen to this out loud with small children. But on the other hand, although I do with my kids, um, on the other hand, like it's not to me laced and ridden with profanity. Like we, where, we certainly, as an adult, I'd be personally offended. And these people weren't offended, yeah. like in the sense of like they're like, what's wrong with you? We're not listening to you. They were just noting it. Is well, I mean, we certainly curse more on the show than any other podcast I listen to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. Um, Everybody wants to avoid that uh, that flag but, up there. Yeah. Yes, um, that's true. I guess uh, you got me there. I can't say I care too much about it, but I I have felt guilty from time to time, but mostly because of things like like when I found out that Jamie listens to it with your kids. Like and you're corrupting them, and the, <laughs> and the best thing was that she didn't care. <laughs> but see, yeah, well, here's the thing, right? So, like, I mean, I've always been a little bit like, oh, I'm not big on the curse words, whatever. I would be careful with that stuff around my kids, but like, I feel like it's almost impossible at this point. Like, so my son's into Minecraft, my oldest, mm-hmm. loving the Minecraft lately, and so he's watching the Stampy guy does these videos, and he makes bajillions of dollars in his videos, mm-hmm. and he, and this guy's pretty straight laced. Um, and I've actually never heard him curse, but then apparently the other day, you know, he was him or somebody who was in there with him while he was recording, you know, was cursing. So it's like, he's just watching this Minecraft video of a guy who's like an established known guy who's generally not foul mouth and you know, there's curses in there. So it's like, it's, it's so hard. It's hard. It's impossible to escape it. I don't know how I feel about that with regards to kids. I've, um, Ethan's not old enough for me to have reach that bridge yeah but uh for myself <laughs> um and it, it's kind of weird because i'm i'm usually like i don't care about violence 
and I don't care about profanity, but I'm very prudish on sex when I watch <laughs> like TV, and like I won't watch Game of Thrones because of the sex, not because of the violence. <laughs> um, which is kind of weird to to have that yeah. be the line. But well, I think you're like a normal me. American. Like that's that's American. You know, I feel like that's like you know people let their kids like play like Battlefield Four when they're like five, right? But you know, if somebody's kissing on TV, they're like, yeah, turn that <laughs> off. Yeah, you know. Anyway, so what was the other thing you took away from? All right, so that's uh, so that yeah. was the only like thing that you might even portray as negative in a sense, although it wasn't really. That's fine. I don't delivered negative. That's just that. That's what the uh, show is. That's a, that's us. You listen yeah. to the show more for the the people who are presenting it than it's not like we have anything else to to, to of value. Uh, <laughs> other, <laughs> this than, is all we got. <laughs> this is all we got: profanity and occasional rant. So I thought it was very good, at least from the people there who I spoke with. Uh, um, I thought. And this is all a little bit inside baseball, right? Like just us talking about the show here. But uh, um, anyway, that people seem to overall enjoy that we are uh, are sort of allergic to useful information, <laughs> and that, I like that. That's good. we are, you know, we we value the entertainment aspect of it as much as um, you know. And then we we drop our occasional bits of useful information, and I think, but we're not all about usefulness. And I think that kind of is always what I've thought is that that's one of the things that sets us apart where most of the other bootstrapping podcasts are much more like this is how you run your business and this is how you grow and make more money and blah, blah, blah. And we're a little bit more about hopefully we're entertained to listen to and occasionally drop something useful in. Um, and people seem to like that. So, And a lot of people have listened to the back episodes and a lot of people listen to all the episodes. Um, so... It's, it's very. It was. Uh, it was interesting. But yeah, it was great to like. So many people. So many people from the forums. Lots of people from the forums um, at discuss.bootstrap.fm. If you've never been, uh, yeah, a lot of people from the forums. So it was like interesting. Two people I had long um, conversations with were, uh, oh, I think his name's Frederico, and um, who's on the forums a lot, and uh, uh, Jane Portman, who's yes. on the forums. Oh, she's from Russia. Uh, um, either Russa or Eastern Europe, somewhere in the yeah, yeah. yeah, she, she has the UI breakfast.com, I think. UI yeah, breakfast. something yeah. like that. Yeah, I think yeah. that's it. Um, so I had a long conversation with her, which was interesting. And uh, yeah, you know, a bunch of other kind of forum regulars. So everybody's liking the forum, which was great. Cool. Uh, yeah, so overall, so on the bootstrapped front, MakerConf was a big success. And uh, a lot of good feedback. Um, yeah, the conference itself. You know, it was like one of those things where, so I haven't, I've spoken before, but I haven't um, given like a talk to a couple hundred people. I don't know if I've ever given a talk to a couple hundred people. And I haven't given a talk to a large number of people, you know, in a pretty long time. So, uh, so I was like just tweaking everything. And so the first day, I spoke at the end of the first day, which was good. I'm glad I wasn't pushed into the second day, or mm-hmm. else I would have gotten nothing out of the actual con- conference itself. But uh, yeah, I was just like, just nervous about that and tweaking the talk and all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, this talk went good. Um, I liked your slides. I liked that. Was, was that uh, me over there walking already? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Crazy, yeah. All the kids. I don't usually share a lot of pictures of the kids on the internet, but uh, I don't know. They kind of worked themselves in well to the slides that kind of fit in with what I was going for. So the kids made an appearance. Um, 
I think the slides are pretty good. They're going to have the videos, you know, at some point. I don't know. They were recording it, so I'm sure in a month or two maybe. Uh, we'll put up your uh, slides in the show notes so everybody can go see the revenue numbers. Userscape's revenue numbers you put up and extrapolate to the current year and imagine <laughs> you sitting on your golden throne lighting your cigars with $100 bills. <laughs> I know. So that was interesting, right? Like I never shared any uh, real revenue numbers before. Um well, in, in public. In public, yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, it's. Uh, I thought it would be interesting. I felt like you know, so MicroConf has, you know, it's all like tactical and it's all a lot of details of people giving you very specific advice about things. And I kind of felt like with being the customer support, so it's all most of the talks are about like making more money in one way or another, right? So like, I wanted to try to make that connection to customer support, which people don't normally make that connection so much and I felt like I needed a way in the beginning to kind of get people's attention and at least get us all focused in because if I just jump into like you know how to respond to an email I feel like it get, it's kind of a long talk that way you know to start with that so so I figured uh, what's the difference I'll share some numbers but yeah those numbers are interesting I mean they don't extrapolate out uh, you know as as well as I would hope in terms of they don't just uh, keep doubling like that um, up till today, which would have been great if they did, but they do not, I can assure everybody. Uh, but you know, it's, it's interesting too, because, so I didn't want to get, this wasn't the right talk to, to get into it. Um, I'm going to get into this a little bit at my talk next week or this week at Piers Conf um, in Washington. So I don't know if we'll have this out before then. We might. Um, if so, it's not too late. The last minute you can come. But uh, but anyway, like this chart is so. If we did push out the rest of this chart, so the chart for those who haven't seen it, it goes from 2005 to 2008, and it has our revenues for each year. So the first year is fifteen thousand, um, which is just like the first, the last three months of 2005. And then it's 123,000 in 2006 and 264,000 in 2007 and 488,000 in 2008. So this is all the years before we hired anybody. And the end of 2008 is when we hired Rebecca, um, who's our first employee. And like, there's this interesting transition that happens like 2008 to like 2011, essentially, where like, you know, the business just changed, but I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, so, like, so, like, you know what I mean? Like, at $488,000, I was like in, that was like the bootstrapper solo guy sort of pinnacle, right? Like, it's like, that's like, boy, that, like, I'm totally destroying what I used to make working for the man, and it's a lot of money, and that's awesome. Um, and wow, that's great. And then, so I kind of just like, not that I took uh, my foot off the pedal because I didn't like get any more rest and I still worked way too much, but it was more like the business got so big that it was stupid for me to try to keep doing it by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't like absorb that and acknowledge it where I should have done a lot more. Like in 2008, I should have been, yeah, we hired Rebecca and we probably should have hired like a developer right in 2008. But instead I was like, well, like, I'm nervous about hiring people. Let's just start slow. We'll hire one person and we'll see how it goes. And so the business kept growing, not the same rate. I think in large part just because 
you know, we didn't grow with it. And so, you know, you just get, you know, you answer things slower. You don't develop the product as fast. Um, like the environment changes and your product can't evolve with it. So like we missed some things in there in those couple of years after that, where I think if we had been more proactive in saying, okay, like the business is growing, we're going to put more money into the business, uh, that would have been better. But that's not like this, the micro ISV mindset, right? The micro ISV mindset is like, it's just me. And if I get to $408,000, I'm done. Like I did it and I don't have to think about this anymore. But, but that's not really the right mindset. <laughs> so I'm going to try to talk about that a little bit at next week's uh, conference actually. Just all, about, interesting. Mis- all about mistakes. I talked about mistakes, which is, th- let me tell you, a mistake I'm going to add, i got to write this down. A mistake I'm going to add <laughs> is doing two talks two weeks apart that aren't the same talk. That's a mistake. <laughs> That's a big mistake. Because this yeah, week is crazy. You're, you're fine. You're, you've been uh, queuing yourself up for talks up until the end of the year. Yeah, one more after this at the end of the year. But I said I want to talk more, but it is a lot of work. That's for sure. It's like I said, I wanted to teach. And then I taught one semester right? in, exactly. in college. <laughs> and I never want to do it ever again. Right. Um, all right. Um, so what else was there? Any any good, surprising takeaways from microconf uh so i don't know like there's a couple summary posts people have and stuff we'll link to those like i don't want to get into like necessarily i don't want to give out too much actual information on our show i don't want to corrupt it no just stuff that happened people yeah no uh what else happened played a little uh texas hold'em with patio 11 Mm. um which was fun uh kind of shot the breeze with Kind of the regular crew of characters. Um, I'm trying to think if there's so Patrick McKenzie was there, the old school guys. Um, hung out with some of the new school guys like Brennan Dunn and uh, Nathan Barry, and mm, uh, you know, single founder who I'd never actually really talked to. Talked to him. Uh, obviously talked to Rob uh, Walling, who runs it. Uh, yeah, so I don't think there was anything surprising. You know, so Vegas, so I've never been to Vegas. Uh, mm-hmm. I liked it. I liked it. Um, it's you know, it's got it's obviously a little bit seedy around the edges, but it's not too bad. Um, I really liked the first two days. I stayed at the Wynn, which was super nice, and I would totally go back there. I'm already angling for how like <laughs> me and Jamie can go there for a couple of days and uh, find somebody to watch the kids. Um, I think that that was really awesome, and then, uh, but yeah, but overall, like a lot of good food. Um, yeah, I liked it. It was not uh, not bad. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily want to. Uh, well, living living there in general is kind of intriguing because there's like no taxes and um, housing's a lot cheaper than here and all that. But and, and no no grass. It's no grass. Sand. Man, let me tell you, it's crazy. I was so like yeah. I mean, I know it's in the desert, but like. I don't know when you fly in there, it's pretty wild. Like, there's really you don't see trees or grass or anything for like the last hour of the flight. <laughs> like, it's really just way out there in the middle of the desert, and there ain't nothing else around. Um, but it looks like it's probably really beautiful in that deserty kind of way. Have you ever um, seen those uh, those um, uh, time lapse videos of the growth of Las Vegas? And all you can think to yourself is, man, there's a lot of money in organized crime. <laughs> I never see a time lapse video, but I imagine it's pretty impressive. Because I mean, it's a big, 
It's like two million people or something. I mean, it's a lot of people out in the middle of the desert with no food or water, essentially. <laughs> like, I mean, the amount of stuff they must bring in every day for like all these fancy restaurants and then just all the food for regular people who are just uh, there. But I mean, it's interesting. Like the cabbie was telling me in a way in that like. Uh, there was some national association of broadcasters conference that had ninety or hundred thousand people there the day I le- they were leaving the day I showed up and mm-hmm. Oracle had like a twenty five thousand person conference there at the same time or so like I mean it can just absorb huge quantities of people uh, which is kind of kind of impressive uh, the, just a you know you think about flying that many people in and out and feeding them and having hotel rooms for all of them and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's funny. I got an image of Ryza from Star Trek, an entire planet that's just like one big, like resort. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's uh, it's I mean it's definitely got something for everybody. I mean you can totally see that. There's everything from like the total dives to, uh, you know, like like next to us is at the main venue hotel, which was Tropicana, which was nice. Um, was like the Hooters Hotel, right? It's like who goes and stays at the Hooters <laughs> Hotel and Casino? Like I don't know. Like I would never stay at the Hooters Hotel and Casino just because it's Hooters. Like I, I mean, you don't you don't know. There's there's Hooters in like the most expensive I know areas of uh, like Wall Street, know, and people go like respectable people go there. You'd be surprised. I know. I know several people who are like we go there with the kids, the whole thing, yeah. and like <laughs> and like we go to places that have girls who are like scantily clad, right? So it's not even that like. It's not even how they're dressed. It's that just the name of the place and the whole like thing. Plus, I don't think the wings are that great. Like, <laughs> so between like the food not being that great and just the whole concept being about Hooters, I don't know. The whole thing is weird to me, right? So like, I'm not going to go to Vegas and stay at the Hooters hotel. Uh, but then you know, yeah, and you have everything up from that to like you know the the win, which was really fancy. We went uh, ate dinner one night in the Bellagio, which was you know kind of oceans 11 ish or whatever so uh yeah so it's it's an interesting place i mean it's cool that you're so close to southern california i mean you're only like four hours from san diego so that's kind of cool but uh yeah i don't know let me see let me just check my notes fun. quick it was fun see you should have came i should have done a lot of things uh, we'll get you out there next year um there's a funny thing that happened while you're looking at your notes. Yeah. Um, uh, so uh, Stuart, Stuart Langridge uh, on Twitter, he's under uh, SIL, S-I-L, which is like mm-hmm. amazing how you get a handle like that. On right. um, he runs a consultancy called Cryogenics. Again, like, I don't know, <laughs> he must have been <laughs> on the internet like 1969 <laughs> or something to be able to like get these handles and, and domains. Um there was a write-up for his app or something in the New York Times. Um, and it was like in one of those uh, personal digital sections, uh, the business section. And uh, he's in the UK. And, uh, and, and you know, whenever so- something, something of yours, you sell you know, bits for a living. Whenever something physical appears that has a mention of your bits, right. uh, you want to get your hands on a physical copy. So... He was like, and I, I never spoken with him. I, I never, I didn't follow him. I don't know who he is, but um, somebody retweeted that. He's like, can anybody get me a copy of the New York Times? I, I want to get my hands on this thing. And uh, and I'm like, well, what the hell? I'm like, 
Seven Eleven is a block away, <laughs> and uh, so he's like for half an hour he's like like bouncing around the Twitter trying to figure out a way how to get his hands on, and it's like you have to get it like now because it's like five o'clock in the evening right. in New York, and uh, you know it's not like you could get your hands on like a two week old newspaper or anything. You have to get it like that day, and right. he found it. He found, he found the article in the digital section, that online version of the New York Times, but he wanted the physical thing, so. And I didn't even know if there was a New York Times there, so I didn't want to say anything. So I just went, and I got him a copy. It was like the last copy of the New York Times. It was like the late edition. And uh, I had to make sure that the article was in there. So I you know, dug through the whole thing to find the article in there, and I finally tweeted him. I said, I got you a copy of the, the Times. Where do you want it sent? And he's in the UK, so it costs like 19 bucks to send it. Uh, but I just love things like that. Um, they're very rare. It's like the definition of one of those things, like when opportunity knocks on your door, there's like nothing that I gain from this, but right. uh, universally speaking in the grand scheme of things, something that cost me two and a half minutes worth of effort is translating into this like massive, massive amounts of value to another person. No. I, I love the leverage of that. Like, there's a bunch of things that we did earlier on that got us written up in uh, some of our apps, like in Italian magazines mm-hmm. um, back in the day, and I, could, I, I, I couldn't get my hands on those. Like, nobody bothered sending them to us, and I just had, like, a digital uh, image of the page, and we were written up in a whole bunch of other things, and even not to do with the business, when I uh, did the acting thing when I was younger in New York, and I was in one of these student films, like, all I wanted was, like, a copy of a tape that I was in. Right, and he didn't even bother getting that. Like, there's no way for me to do that unless, like, the director sends me a copy, right? Right, right. and he's like, I don't care. You're not getting right. anything. So, so I know like how valuable, how special it feels to get like your hands on like something physical that you were in. Like, it happens like right. once in half a decade or something that you you have a record of what you did for a living. Um. So, so not there's there's no story to this except for the fact that it's so rare to be able to put like thirty seconds of worth of effort that costs you nothing. Literally, it's like no effort exerted. That because of just a difference in in uh, location causes somebody else like such enormous amount of value. Just like the 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 universe. Um, there's something in the leverage of the universe there that just just produces so much net positive. <laughs> Well, yeah, uh, amazing that is too that you can even do that now. You know what I mean? It's just like remarkable. You can go to the store and get them in New York Times and ship it to them, and they'll have it. You know, in a couple of days, and yeah, on the other side of the ocean. Yeah, it's crazy. So, there is something that, to that though. Like seeing your stuff in print is kind of like I was in like the Mike Rice books by uh, what's that guy's name? Rob, uh, Rob Walsh. Bob, yeah, I think I was in Bob there Walsh? too with like the yeah. first version of the Ontario website. Yeah. And everybody like flipped out. It's just like an interview of me, and it's like nothing really. You know, it's not like anything special, but like it's not a book about me or anything. Everybody, but, yeah, Andy Bryce, I think, was in there. Yeah, yeah, all the regular guys from back in the Jolon Software forum days were in there, and like, uh, but like everybody in my family was like, "Oh, this is amazing! You're in a book, like you know, what I mean, like this is it. Like I must be like the Rolling Stones or something." But I had an article on Doctor Dobbs, and. It was like the biggest thing in my life up to that point. It's like amazing. What were you in there for? Um, it was about. It was an article about an XML format to uh, include uh-huh. binary binary data inside of XML 
um, uh, without sea data stuff. Um, but it was just like something. It was it was something I wrote specifically so that I could be published in Doctor Knobs. Like it, like it was like it was manufactured right. to appeal to the editors of Doctor Dobbs. And Doctor Dobbs doesn't even exist anymore. So it's like it's and I have like three copies of that. Oh really? That yeah. one. Um, oh, you I, wrote I, the article. I wrote the article, okay. but it took them forever to publish it, and I got like right. six hundred bucks for it. Right. <laughs> um, but it was awesome just being in, in Doctor Dobbs. Doctor Dobbs was like it was our thing back when I was. It was a uh, Windows physical. thing, right? No, it was uh, no. just just for programmers. Oh, was it? I never. I don't think I've ever actually read it. But I mean, I know of it, but I don't think I ever actually read it. They don't have these things anymore. Yeah. The publishing business completely. All we got, got stupid killed. hacker news now. That's all you got. <laughs> um. Oh, so, the other thing. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Well, I wanted to mention one more microcomp thing. Okay. And then that's it. Uh, so I was surprised that there was not. A, a lot of talk about growth hacking. I don't even know if anybody even said it, right? So, like, uh, a few people said it, but it wasn't like a thing. I thought it'd be like all over, and people would be like trying to beat me down. But so I'm gonna. I was taking a little bit of credit that we have changed the conversation and gotten people off of that horrible term that others have abused and made made horrible. Because um, I think we've had a little bit of social impact there. But maybe just out of respect for you, and you weren't invited to this session that <laughs> that was just on growth hacking. But so, so the final talk was Brennan Dunn, and it was basically his talk was under normal circumstances you could have appropriately titled the talk to be about growth hacking, like growth hacking your your business to triple your revenues or whatever. Like you could have said that if the term wasn't a horrible term that's been ruined. Uh, so he op- actually opened with a slide of me and Twitter, like saying something about growth hackers or whatever. And he said, oh, I just don't want Ian to go Hulk mode uh, <laughs> if I start mentioning growth hackers. And as soon as he said that, when people see this video, you're not going to believe it. As soon as he said that, the speakers in the place got some kind of feedback and everybody had to like put their hands on their ears. But it wasn't just that thing where like you know the mic gets some feedback and everybody goes, ow, mm-hmm. and that's it. It was 15 seconds of <laughs> continuous feedback. Like, like literally like my head was shaking from the sound. Uh, it was crazy. So it was like the growth hacking gods like struck out at me right at that moment and like tried to take us all out. It was crazy. <laughs> Every, the whole and the mic system, everything had been perfectly fine the entire time. The last talk where the guy mentions growth hackers and me at that <laughs> moment, at that moment, literally as he's saying it, there's this giant feedback thing that Knocks everybody to the floor. The crazy. Matrix isn't pleased. I know. There's some crazy shit going on. Oh, man. All right. Oh, Long Island Herald. is <clears throat> uh, just a quick note. Mm. Um, sent us, two weeks in a row, um, a trial subscription of the newspaper. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, whether we liked it or not. Right. And, uh, and then the last one, they said... Subscribe for $10 a year. This is your final issue. And that is awesome. Like, we can't do that. Forced trials. (laughs) (laughs) But it just struck me that just because of the circumstances by which they distribute their product, they're able to essentially give me a a trial without me asking for one or even being aware of that I want one or don't want one. It's actually a decent newspaper. I would never have subscribed to it. I would never even look 
to go searching for the existence of it. But uh, we will probably wind up subscribing just because their approach was to throw out two issues at us, just like that. It's, it's, it's a just once fascinating. A yeah, it's a once, once a week. week. Yeah. yeah. Um, that is that is interesting. It totally doesn't translate to us. Like you go like force sign up how, people. Yeah, how it. can I force people? <laughs> sign? They're getting growth hacky here. How can I force people to sign up against their will? It is, it is interesting how there's like the online etiquette versus like I mean obviously physical world etiquette. Nobody gives a crap. Like your mailbox is filled with crap you just throw out every day. You know what I mean? And that's like printing that stuff and shipping it, and then everybody just throws it out. But, maybe, but apparently not everybody. This is the interesting. Like, it this does isn't garbage. Work. This is a, a genuine, actual editorial. It's just super uber local, right, which right, is right. actually interesting. Uh, yeah. But um, I found a, my my news. I find, I think I find, I've been like using different news apps forever. But I really like this New York Times now. It's really yeah. good. And they actually got me to subscribe for eight bucks a month, which felt <laughs> a little expensive. I was like, eight dollars a month seems a little out there, but it's really good. It's like just the like they edit, like they they pick just the top stories, but it's more than just top stories. It's like a good mix of stories. Um, mm-hmm. So it's like a tight version of the newspaper instead of just like because for a while we had the actual New York Times subscription, and it's just such a behemoth, and you got like <laughs> look through all this crap, and I don't have any time for that. This is just like a feed of like interesting stories. It's good. Cool. It's not hyper local like your Long Island Herald, though. All right. So, did you actually send in the money yet, though? No. Yeah. Well, so that might not happen. But I just like the whole approach. There's just something about it. Well, I mean, I guess it's it's not just I because we can't, we can't do that. Like we don't have the logistics to do that. I, mean, I guess you have the free trial concept, but still, somebody has to come to you and do something. Right? How could you make it so they don't have to come to you, but also not be sleazy? That's the question. It's true. <laughs> This is really subtle. They just, you know, the first one just showed up, the second one showed up, and the third one just a little banner at the top saying, this is the last one of your three um, issue subscription trial I think thing. A similar sort. It's not really similar because they still have to come to you, but like, <clears throat> I always like this concept, and this is actually how Snappy kind of started. It, I like the concept of building like little ultra simple versions of your apps that, that is like the free version. So not a free version of your real app. But something different that's super almost nothing, like it's just a little bit above nothing. And that is what like you kind of put out into the world and it's just free and you just like use it, whatever. Um, and then like, you know, in there maybe you have some upsells or whatever. Like I like that concept. I always want to do that concept. And that was actually the very initial idea before Snappy it was called Snappy, like way back years ago. Mm-hmm. But then when you get in, like help desk software is too tricky. Like there's just so much shit you have to build to even make the minimal, minimal, minimal version useful that mm-hmm. you're building an entire app anyway. But in another space where you could get away with the minimal, minimal, minimal version, I think it's kind of an interesting idea. I'm I'm fascinated by sort of something. Like, I'm fascinated with the like the Minecraft approach of where. You basically just put out like point zero 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 one, and then you buy, essentially just to support further development, and then you get the updates continuously. I think with my current app, there's an app I haven't announced yet that's not the mobile because the mobile app for kids, the the iPad app that we're mm-hmm. working on, mm-hmm. uh, Vicky's working on the um, interface for that, so that means I'm not doing anything. So 
I do the proof of concept technicals with sort of programmer art rectangles, right. and then she does the interface, and then I integrate the interface. So while she's doing the interface, I usually move on to something else. I don't have client work right now, so it's a great opportunity to uh, to do another app. So the app that I will wind up doing is a, it's a desktop app. I'm not going to announce it yet. It's super early. I just started like two days ago, but I'm probably going to do that same thing where I'm going to release the minimal, minimal thing. Mm. I like and, that. Uh, and see, um, and just, you know, charge for it and uh, fund the rest of the development. Well, and if it's if it's the kind of thing that, like, you'd require access on multiple platforms, there is that interesting... Because, like, Minecraft, I mean, Minecraft has literally hit me up for 20, I don't even know, like 50, 60 bucks. Because, you know, we're playing on the iPad. We're playing on the computer. We're playing on the Xbox. And they're all, like, different at different times. And, like, so every one, like, they're charging me. And Notch, Notch, the creator of Minecraft, Marcus, is my favorite rich person ever. (laughs) He's, like, I listen to, um, like, I finished watching his programming stream things. And now he streams, like, he goes home and he streams, like, himself just playing video games on, on um, Twitch.tv. Like, it's a thing now. People get paid tons of money. Just, just There's this girl from Sweden, Sweet Bliss or something, on Twitch. That, that's her entire job. People watch, I mean, she's a girl, so it's an, it's an internet. But she just sits there and she plays video games and, like, people like, donate money to her. And, like, that's her. She pays rent and food with that. It's amazing. <laughs> not play his own games or no not? just just games so but that's part of the thing so the thing is that when you listen to him play play games like he, he he's by himself i mean there's like thirty five thousand people watching him play the game but he's essentially by himself right and uh and it, it, sooner or later when you expose yourself to a person like that by by watching various like feeds of him whether it's like through streaming or documentaries or, or just reading wikipedia or something right you you put together bits and pieces of the personality of the person and i've never met a rich per- I, I think it's because he got a lot of money very quickly like i've never met a person who's that uncomfortable with having that much money <laughs> like like he's he's sitting there literally every other stream cast and he's like doing uh, like he's he's like um he's saying go ahead and pirate the thing like i don't need any more money like if you can't afford the game i mean you know there's other people working on it but if you can't afford the game go ahead and pirate it and he's saying things like like um he doesn't know like he's questioning the motivations of life now like it used to be like it used to be like you have to make games because that's your job because you need to pay the rent and food right but now he's like literally saying this as he's playing because he's just doing like his own thoughts right right uh and he's verbalizing them and he's saying like i i don't know like the biggest thing that's worrying me is that i don't know what my motivation is supposed to be now because i literally never have to have another job in my entire life right he's worth like minecraft is pulling in like a billion dollars raw years he's worth 150 million just from his own stuff so but like he didn't he he's not carmack who's like interested in the problems the, the problems so even though yeah. he's wealthy he's just gonna go and keep working on it he, he right. worked because he needed to work right and now he doesn't need to work anymore right so he's like he doesn't know what the motivation for life is supposed to be now like he's he's sort of playing with the idea that it's supposed to be now that he should he should learn things Right, but he doesn't really know if that's a good substitute motivator for whatever was motivating him before, which is you know got to pay for rent and food. 
So he's literally like scared because he doesn't know what like his daily. What am I waking up for? Because I have like literally all the money I will ever ever. Need. And I think he's gonna be. I think he's gonna be way richer soon because I feel like it's getting like it's mainstream now. Like it's just becoming mainstream. You know what I mean? Like where everybody everywhere is always talking about Minecraft, and now there's like toys and Toys R Us for Minecraft, and like. It's crazy. Like Tyler bought a toy at Toys R Us in Minecraft. There was like little blocks and a little man. Like it doesn't even make any sense. It's crazy. And yeah, he, like, I don't he know. Little How can you top it? Like, you can't top Minecraft. No. You know what I mean? Like, it's impossible. It's no, he says himself, you know, he does these programming competitions and he says very clearly that, you know, I'll I'll do some products, but nothing will be a success. Like I've never met any anybody who's like that down to earth and completely aware of the fact that he got everything by luck. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it was luck. I don't think of that's course fair. it was luck. No, it There's wasn't. a billion games like Minecraft. There's a he, billion games like Minecraft before and after Minecraft. But you know what's interesting too, how they're everywhere, you know? I feel like that's one of these things nowadays. You gotta be everywhere with these kind of things, you know? Like it's on every random device you can play Minecraft. Everywhere. You know? I still think there's not a lot of games like that. People make it for iOS, so they do iOS and Android. It's Minecraft, I think it's like Java. Like when you start on a computer, it's ridiculous. It's got this like, it's like, it reminds me of me playing games. It's got like a start screen with shit loading and it's like, you know, it looks like an old school game. It's crazy. So, I like him. I that's do like decision. That's, that's what I've decided. I like him. I like him. Yeah, I started following him on Twitter after that uh, whole... Facebook, yeah, the Facebook thing, WhatsApp, whatever it was. But uh, so related to all that, and kind of related to microconf, and this is a st- see. We we should talk about this because I'm getting very interested in this strategy, and this is a strategy I'm coming up with. It's a combination of you and Rob Walling. If you and Rob Walling had a baby, that's what the strategy would be. Okay, um, and actually, I think this is kind of Rob's strategy in general, but. Uh, although he's changed strategies because he has this, you know, Drip now, which is marketing platform, email marketing platform, um, and that he built from the ground up. But, yeah, that doesn't fit with his approach to other products. Right? Yeah, that's like a whole new thing. Although I think it's, you know, it sounds like it's doing pretty good. But, uh, um, so before that, his whole thing, he touched on this at MicroConf. Like he was really into this idea of buying existing apps mm-hmm. and then, uh, you know cleaning them up and fixing them up and but still you're starting you know you're not starting from nothing and uh, you know so much work that goes into getting an app to being a year old and functional and all that stuff and so uh, but you know he, he said he kind of stopped talking about that because nobody wants to hear it because it's mostly developers and developers want to build their own stuff right mm-hmm. so so I've been, I've been thinking about that and I've been thinking about like um, SaaS apps and how like I feel like with SaaS apps, aside from if you have like one that becomes a monster hit, right? If, if that happens, then you deal with that. But I feel like you almost need the Butov approach with SaaS apps. Like I feel like you need more than one because one, like it doesn't. They're not that much support. I mean, <clears throat> Snappy is more like it has a lot of ongoing development because it's a very complicated problem. But um, even so, it's still we're getting there on that where like it's getting more feature complete and we're delving into more kind of improving existing parts that need updating or, or uh, kind of more edge case kind of things. But I don't know. I feel like you need more than one. Like, I, like 
because there's the revenue is so kind of slow to build with them, and I also think it's possible to have more than one because the support is not that significant with them. Mm-hmm. So like, so then that makes me think of those two things together, and it's like, so. I don't know. Is the way you should start a company now? Like, should you be buying SaaS apps? Like, should you be out there looking for SaaS apps and acquiring them? And so, in that, like, in the old days where we took twenty thousand dollars you saved, and you said, "Okay, I'm saving this, and I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to work for a year on building this thing." Like, should you take that and instead buy some app that's already established, that already is branded, that you know, for whatever reason, like the person's tired of it? didn't do as well as they thought. They can't wait out the runway on waiting five years for it to build up um, into a livable sort of amount of income, <clears throat> whatever. And then just fix the marketing of it. Like it's kind, of, it's kind of hard to. I mean, assuming you, as a developer, are able to jump through that hurdle of getting over yourself and not having to build your own code, yeah. which is for me like almost insurmountable. <laughs> Like, I don't think I'd be able to, but uh, if you, by some miracle, manage to get through that, right. um, I, I would have a hard time discerning between there's that person who has a solid thing, but is just not able to wait out until it makes a profit, and you can, right. as opposed to it's a piece of shit, and you just don't know it yet. I mean, as far as market. It's tricky. But you could also like I feel like but that, that doesn't app, have anything to do with SaaS. I mean, SaaS, SaaS is. Yeah, yeah. Almost I mean, it's not really SaaS specific, I guess, yeah. in that sense. But, um, and and even trying to find the one who's waiting it out probably isn't even the best. I mean, to me, it is like a total business play, really. In that, like, as long as you find an app that's built well, then it's really just about are they marketing it wrong, and you're going to change the marketing, um, or it's about. Like in my case, um, which I'm not in a scenario of somebody just starting out, but like, is there things we could acquire for you know a not insane amount of money that we could sell into our existing customer base, where we have these B two Bs and um, they you know we know the type of companies they are, and can we take something that's not maybe that's just doing okay? And instantly sell a whole bunch of it just by cross-selling it, you know, with our other products or building it into the other products. Like, so there's that kind of thing too, where where we wouldn't have to go through like the six months of development and and distraction from not improving our main products, um, but we could fold it in. That's funny. You're going you you going the whole sort of cycle of software company to a level of huge software company. Even though you're still small, remember that uh, Jamie uh, Zawinski quote from uh, Code Rush, where he said that uh, companies get to a size where internal development and innovation is no longer the the viable way of making money. You have to start making money through acquiring other companies. (laughs) It's like a micro scale of that. It's it's that, (laughs) Uh, which is kind of weird that at your size you sort of already looped through to that area where it's starting to make sense for you to sort of, you could make significant income through like acquisition. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I can, right? But it's like, I think the SaaS idea of it, so while we dislike the SaaS, right? But in this, with this scenario, see, I feel like, so in that sense, it is SaaS specific for me because I feel like the SaaS solves a lot of problems, like in terms of this particular strategy, because 
if you were just to bring on a help spot type product, right? Like, and let's just say there was a, a help spot type thing, which I've actually had people offer me help spot type things in the past and like, hey, for three grand, do you want to buy this thing? And the problem with that is like, there's a lot of support around that. You have things downloaded and <clears throat> it's kind of enterprisey and there's just a lot of work with that. Um, but if you, but a SaaS app folds in much more easily. There's not a lot of work. The support is not difficult. You know, if it's already built, um, building it a SaaS app to me takes kind of longer than a download app because it's mm-hmm. just a little bit trickier. So, um, so you eliminated that whole complexity of figuring all that stuff out and doing the trial and error and going through all those bugs. And so you eliminate all that and <clears throat> you're bringing this thing in. Like, so when, you know, Jamie Zwinski said that, like that was probably 20 years ago, right? Like in the beginning of the, you know, kind of internet or shortly thereafter and uh, not the internet, but you know, modern internet uh, when like, yeah, you're Netscape and you acquire some other big company and you suck them in and, you have a million people and all stuff and two million line code apps and figuring that all out. But like a SaaS app, you just have it. You just start marketing it. It's running. And like, so can you bring some unique value to that marketing at, you know, end of it? Um, and that's kind of interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, of course it's interesting. It's just that, <laughs> <laughs> that that's, that's the, the thing that's so appealing about uh, Rob's initial approach as well. The the hard part is that as a developer, you're essentially taking out, you're saving and taking out of the equation the only thing that I could bring value right. to, right? Which is the, my coding uh, <laughs> skill. So you take that out, you save money on that, and then the stuff that's left is stuff I have n- I have no knowledge of at all. <laughs> which is marketing and marketing that somehow um, better than whatever the previous developer was able to, yeah. to do with it. But maybe it's not that. See, like in your case, it's you have all these. Or yeah, apps. having the audience. But it's yeah, still marketing to that audience. Yeah, you have an audience. So maybe you could find somebody with a mobile app that's kind of, you know, a businessy mobile app and it's kind of interesting, but they never, you know, got any traction on it. And you could push it down your channels. And I mean, a mobile app is even better because there's like no support. It's like if there's a mobile app and it works, You'd literally just be buying it, and then a day later, you know, throwing it down the channels that you have access to, and seeing if that, you know, does that uptick it just a little bit to get up on the chart a little higher to create the self-propelling forward motion of it. You know, I've, I mean? I've, I've literally at my scale. I'm not talking about Zynga scale. We're talking about indie developer scale, our right. scale. I've not been able to figure out a way of, of making profit off a mobile app by by putting money into it money into the advertising part of it right but like there's literally no way at these margins right right so but but acquiring a mobile app just so you could push it onto your existing customer base is just an indirect version of of buying banner ads for the existing app well no it's not because it's a different app Right, but you're not going to make enough off of it for that initial investment that you, whatever you, I mean, I mean, unless it's so bad right now, they literally go and just, I guess people are just buying source code and then reskinning it a hundred times. And you're entering that territory of like, well, I think it's how do I make money off of any it, right? content? Like it's like, I have a real app. It doesn't sell that well. Does anybody want to buy it? That's different to me than I have source code, you know, 
I'm selling you right. this. Right. So then how do you sell? But, but then you don't have you don't have that audience. You have that audience maybe because you have a uh, something like Uber Deck that you could push out to your existing right. customer base. But exactly. there's other there's ways that person could reach my audience without me having to buy his app. He'll just well, open course. up an ad network, right? But that's true of everything. Like if if I buy an app to sell into my business customers, there's 18 billion ways that same person could no, have because you have no, no, no. You have uh, a much tighter relationship with your SaaS app audience than I have. Even with UberDeck, with my mobile audience, of course, we're not, even, we're, not, we're, not, we're not even talking about walled garden here. We're just talking about right. human no. to human relationship with the way customers see something like a SaaS business to business app versus how a mobile person sees something he had paid a dollar for a year ago. Well, I think there's also, I mean, another thing is you could build it in, like, if it's a product that's closely aligned, like. It could become part of HelpSpot or part of Snappy. It could be built into it or an integration or whatever. Which in the mobile is a little bit trickier to have, like an integration between two apps and things like that. It's not as clear usually how you could do that. But I don't know. I still think I still think it's interesting. I mean, the problem is like where do you find them? Like this Flippa is like a site that comes up and stuff like that. But I almost feel like if it's on a site like that, I don't know. Yeah, this is an entire new skill set, even on top of marketing, which right. is already a skill set <laughs> I don't have. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't really have time for it. So that's the other thing. You do have to kind of get it is more, but I feel like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just that we're kind of getting to this place and I'm getting out of the code enough since we have the developers now. But like, and I do miss the coding. So that's, that is a problem. I'm like, but you got to then begin to just separate the creativity of it. Like, you have to be like, you have to just be okay with not, with focusing on it's a business and I might do this thing to make money versus in terms of like, let's say you acquired somebody and you finally, you finally reached the point of that uh, e myth thing where you're finally working on your business instead of in your business. And you're just, you're just trying to find your footing because you've never been in this place before. Yeah, I think that could be. That's part of it. I think it's interesting. I think a lot of people sort of sort of uh, say that that you know you want to take yourself out of the business and work on your business instead of having a job in your business because they read that and that's you know, it, it. It makes for a good quote, right? But when you find yourself in that it's in that space, it's very foreign because yeah. you haven't yeah. done anything but worked in your business for the entirety of your business thus far right well and especially when you start out like us it's what you'd like to do right so like it's different i don't know it's different than if when you're like a manager in a company and you rise up and become the boss or whatever because it wasn't the thing you did so much you know what i mean but like, this is like this is it like it's just been you the entire time and like uh well not the entire time but for years and yeah and so you're you're tied up in it more closely than uh, just a guy who works a job sort of thing. I think you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Then. Uh, if, if, what, if what you're doing is working on your business, then exploring all these avenues that are foreign to you is sounds like a reasonable thing to be doing. It's a lot of work. <laughs> so, so is the shit you did before. It's just different shit. Uh, all right, so... What else is going on on your end of the world? So you're um, consulting stuff. You're you're in a lull here. You've wrapped up your other gigs. I wrapped up everything, and I'm uh, 
because a lot of this stuff is sort of uh, they sort of evaluate it and they deploy it and it takes them forever to do stuff and it yeah. takes me a very short time to do stuff <laughs> I have to wait big windows of time to uh, before I get to the next phase or whatever so I have these these uh, opportunities to work on products so so we have the I actually started on the we're gonna be redoing the website Victoria is working on that too. so much stuff falls on Victoria now because of the everything that's UI based she's doing because she's really good at the Photoshop and design stuff but Unfortunately, that means that I have nothing to do, so I have to start on new products and stuff. <laughs> what about uh, what about doing some of the old products? Yeah, I don't know. I we we need to make some new stuff. We haven't made uh, almost anything this year because the consulting stuff. This year's only four months old. Do you know how much shit I released by <laughs> by by April in 2013? All right. So what do you? So um, you're working on this new thing, but it's going to be mobile and desktop, or just desktop? Uh, the, 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 the new thing is, uh, so we have the, the kids app for the iPad. That's just the iPad. Right. 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 So that's uh, waiting for UI from Victoria. I started on, so, so with that front end website redesign, I thought about getting the back end transferred over to Laravel because it's, it's literally a decade old PHP right. code. It's my, my own thing. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and I kind of started doing it. And I stopped, which I almost never do. Yeah, that is surprising. I, I, I tend to finish. But but this time, it was sort of going like um, um, molasses. And, and I keep wondering, why is it like not, why am I not motivated to, to, to finish this transition? And I finally decided that it's because it's, it, it's, there's literally no benefit. Yeah, it's 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 thinking. almost literal like it's just code masturbation. He's just right. literally tr- converting one format to another <laughs> with no value added at all, and it's it, it would have been weeks worth of work. Yeah, the website's no it's always crazy how long it takes to redo the website. Like you think, oh, you do the website like psh, three days, right? <laughs> but it takes like it's as long to redo the freaking website as it is to like build a half a real app. Like that's crazy. I spent weeks on like the snappy site and like just like the plainest plain Laravel site there is. But like as soon as you get into like having to mess with the front end parts and then you're tweaking things and yeah, it's it's horrible. So that part's dropped. We're still gonna do the front end. That's different because the current Ontario site just doesn't represent what we do. So yeah. that's gonna be changed. But the back end, I'm leaving the same. My yeah. old PHP code. And then I got started two days ago on the desktop app, which is gonna be in Qt. Thanks to Andy Bryce. I love QT. <laughs> um, it's very rare that you find a technology that sort of thinks like you, like on, on the same wavelength. Uh, right. And this one does. It's just fantastic. It's amazing. I haven't discovered it sooner. Uh, I mean, I was aware of it, but I haven't played with it. Right. Um, it's going to be in QT. So it's going to be Windows, Mac, and Linux out of the gate. And I'm going to try to do that thing where it's minimum viable, but sort of. Um, still yeah, good. Still good. <laughs> the eternal, eternal goal. Well, I think some some products lend themselves to the minimal viable better than others too. You know, I've never done that before. Yeah. I, I tended to approach things like Either. like the way Spolsky approached it, which just sort of like releases it onto the world with no pre announcement at all, and it's fully functional like today. Right. And, um, but sort of the Apple approach, I guess. But um, maybe it would be fun. 
Oh, the other thing I'm doing is for the iPad app, mm. I decided to take, uh, for the children's app, I decided to take screenshots at sort of every stage of its development because something like a children's iPad app, has it's almost all visual and it's right. going to turn out to be very pretty, but it starts off very blocky and ugly. So it, it should make for a very interesting sort of like time-lapse video of its development, which I haven't done before, but I thought it would be interesting. I mean, that, it doesn't cost me anything. It's like a screenshot every couple of hours or something. And I'm going to put that together and put it up on the website or something. should be an interesting thing to see. So like, like the morphing of a blank white screen into something that's very nice looking. Here's what you need to do. I know what your next product needs to be. Forget this other thing you're building. Or, <laughs> or build it. And I know you'll build it in like two weeks or whatever. So build it. And you totally, absolutely should do this. Absolutely. I'm like so excited for this. I really hope you would do this. <laughs> you should do an ebook for developers who have to work across like the mobile different platforms. Like, because you have a very unique take on it. Like, there's tons of books on like on iOS, on Android, but like to be able to cross over them, like I think that would be like very interesting book, and I think you can make some decent money at that. You know, there's actually there's a couple of uh, conferences that came up, <clears throat> like the uh, i360 Dev or i Dev 360. I never remember what order those those things are in there. Um, but it's an iOS developers conference, mm-hmm. and there's a bunch of other conferences that came out, and they're all like. Uh, here's the call for papers submit your stuff and um my thing is that i you know we do that thing where we do a lot of cross-platform thing Mm -hmm. but you 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 tend to uh, you, you tend to have a lot of very like uh expert people at these conferences so you almost like you don't know enough to to do any one thing like you feel like an amateur in every platform but you're good across all of them you know right so it it almost feels weird because i don't like like it feels like if i'm going to be writing this book and it has like an ios portion in it like here's how you do something in ios well that's not really true because that's how I do something on iOS, but that's not how like the person who knows really knows iOS would do that thing. Yeah, but that doesn't matter. That's the whole point of the book. It's like, listen, this is how I'm able to transfer these apps between platforms in two weeks. And it's because this is how I do this and this is how I do that. And this is the things you need to look out for when you're doing this, yada, yada, yada. And then that also builds into the other good thing. So this is like a content play that's a real, like an actual content play where you have actual content that you actually should be selling so people can learn stuff. And then when you have these conferences, like then you have the logical, like, hey, I should speak at this. Because like when you just have the apps, like you're not going to sell any apps at a conference. You know what I mean? Like, or if you do, it doesn't matter because you're going to make $10 on five apps you sold. But like if you sell 10 $50 ebooks, like that's, that's all right. And those people, if they, you know, tweet about it a couple times, whatever. Like now you've got something. Like that's like some decent money from something you can actually sell for a reasonable value, other than like a ninety-nine cent thing. And it plays more directly into like a content thing, talking at a conference versus you know again versus apps, which you're not going to ever build traction for an app like by talking at a conference. But but for a book, you could because you also need a lot less people to. I also talk. I also really don't like writing. You wrote. You've written a book. See, that's what I'm saying. This is all perfect. It's all working together. Sorry, Alyssa. <laughs> <laughs> I really hate writing. Like I, I, I was really good at it. Like I used to make 
money writing essays for other kids in high school. <laughs> <laughs> so that, look, at you do that. You hire an editor. You, it's no big deal. Uh, I like I like this idea. This is a damn good idea. Damn good. I want ten percent. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I like this idea. This is totally because you know what? That's I, I just love everything about it. And it's not like a play to like sell more of your apps, right? It's a pure everything play is hacky. Everything is like everything is like here's how you do this on Android. Hack. It's not really how you do it on Android, but it's how you do things on Android if you just want to release it today. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Irrelevant. Irrele- erroneous on all counts. People don't want to people don't want to hear that. Um and look, they're awesome. You can sell it chapter by chapter. Like people, chapter by chapter. you don't know, sell it chapter by chapter, but you can release like partially finished books. And people can buy the book, and then you could just be completing chapters as you go. I get like, paid by the word. That's the big thing on Lean Pub. Like people sell these books, and they're not even done. People are buying them, and then they just get updates. You get an email when another chapter is added, and, and then you can go download in the next chapter. I have a book on Lean Pub. Everybody should go buy. So you want to be a Wall Street programmer, which is like 25 years old. <laughs> <laughs> How much money have you made out of that thing? Over the course of its lifetime? Well, in, uh, just on Lean Pub. Oh, have you made you know, Like you made over $200 or something? $200. $200 on a book that's totally irrelevant to what you currently do. <laughs> that's totally irrelevant to pretty much everything at this point because like Wall Street programmer, like that was a... You know what I mean? Like that maybe was less, a thing back when you wrote it. Like, <clears throat> now programmers are everywhere, and it's like, okay, like, I, like that's totally irrelevant. That and book, still that, that, that book is awesome. I mean, it's not a good book, but it's awesome because <laughs> that book it's, is awesome. It's that book, book is very, very that that book is um, the Wall Street equivalent of this show. That book is really <laughs> that book is very real. Because because it was my um, it was my catharsis piece right. after leaving Wall Street. I never went back. That book is very real. I don't know how practically apt it is now with like actual useful, actionable information. But right. we don't believe in that anyway. Yeah, <laughs> but it was it, it is it is the Wall Street version of this show. Um, I totally love this idea. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to write anything. Up. Uh, you know, you can just put up the thing. I think that way you can just put up the thing and, you can, know. Can, can Alyssa write just, it for me? No. Only if you guys want to work out something on the side, I guess, or something. But Userscape's not writing it for you. Alyssa will write it and she gets all the money. And, and that's it. <laughs> I'm pretty <laughs> sure she lacks the domain it. knowledge of how to <laughs> build an iOS and Android app and transfer between them. I don't know any of that stuff either. Oh, stop. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Just get yeah, it I done. Know. I feel. I feel. Uh, it's the same reason I don't want to. I don't want to teach anybody anything on the show. I just feel like a hack when I actually have to like start teaching people what to do. No, that's all. You know, all these guys say the same thing, which is that like you learn by doing it. So like as you're going, you learn the. You know, you're going to look up the right way to do a particular call or something. You know the hacky way. You know it's super hacky, so you're going to find the less hacky way. And when you're writing the book, you swap in the less hacky way. Done. I don't know. Look at that Chris Coyer's guy. He's the guy they all use as examples. The guy, the CSS tricks, CSS okay. tricks. You've probably seen him like just in searches or whatever. He's everywhere. Like he didn't like, he was just like a below average kind of average CSS guy. And now he makes like a million dollars a year on this CSS trick site 
where he knows everything about CSS. I don't even think he would say he knows everything about CSS, but he know, you know, he, he's been learning and he knows more and he's documenting what he learns and people link to it and that's it. Same thing for you. But I'm running a software company and, and I don't want to just make content just because it'll sell. I still want to kind of do what I want and like to do, which is not writing. I mean, I like writing code, but not writing books. I think you'd like writing this book. Uh, I I didn't even like converting the PDF to the LeanPub format when I had to publish it in LeanPub. Yeah, just, well, that's because you were going backwards there. Though. I hated reading that stuff. <laughs> it's all so hokey. <laughs> well, listen, you can have an editor, like, you know, you spring a few bucks and you get somebody to clean it up. No big deal. Wow, whatever. Moving on. Anything else? I like this idea. But that's what we have. I'm too old. Yeah, it's too old to write a book. <laughs> I'm too old. <laughs> oh my I'm, I'm 35 sure. today. It was my birthday today. Was that today? Yeah. Oh crap! Happy birthday! Thank you. I forgot. I, I like we had a whole Twitter thing about this, but I, I've already forgotten it. My awesome wife got me a whole bunch of nostalgia yeah, toys from my childhood, which childhood. she knows. That's like the that's like the thing. It's n- it's nothing you would recognize because it's, it's a whole, thing because it's on Seinfeld. I get it. I get it. It's a Russian. It's a it's a whole bunch of Russian things. Yeah, yeah but what from. are they? Um, the the closest equivalent to American toys are like erector sets, mm-hmm. um, which is the only things I used to play with. And like modeling clay is very big for for us. As kids' toys in, in Russia, so she got me a whole bunch of these things. Some of which are like they're coming from China, right. and it takes forever <laughs> to get them here. But she knew that, like, like I don't want anything from over here. But yeah. a nostalgia play is like the best gift. That is smart. That's really smart. Cause you already have like what do you yeah, stuff? Yeah. Yeah. More stuff. Nostalgia gifts are like amazing. Interesting. Oh. That's a good. That's a good move. Do you guys go out to a nice dinner? Where you no, we don't yeah. do that. You have anybody come over and have a cake? No, we don't do that. <laughs> we, we, I had birthday sushi. Oh yeah, delivered or what? Yeah, delivered. Long yeah, I, Long Island sushi is terrible. Yeah, I can imagine. You pay more and you get less quality, which is kind of odd since we're fucking surrounded by water. Which that it's, sounds gross too. Like less <laughs> less quality sushi. Those are not words I want. In the same <laughs> Gas station sushi. Yeah, exactly. No, I mean yeah, it's it's odd that Brooklyn has much better sushi than than Long, Long Island. I can see that. That makes sense. Suburbs. So, yeah, you when you move out to the suburbs, it's all it's all processed shit from a supermarket. Everybody's living on McDonald's in the suburbs. Yeah. You can't even get a decent uh, bowl of spaghetti or whatever he says at the end of Goodfellas. Eh? Ketchup. Ketchup pretending to be sauce. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Well, we're running it like over an hour now. We done? Laura I talked to everybody about this up. too. I want to go to Laracon. I want to go to Laracon. This came up as a funny uh, funny thing. How we, all, how we say that. You always say that at an hour and I always say we'll find something else and then we go on for another hour. Oh, is this a drinking game now? <laughs> Shit, that's a good idea. <laughs> Laracon's in three weeks. I, this spring is ridiculous. These two conferences I'm speaking at, Laracon, which you're I usually speaking, end up like emceeing or a little bit or whatever. I'm, I'll be doing some stuff at it anyway. And Ah, it's crazy. Yeah, you are going to go at Laracon, right? You're coming, Laracon. Yes. yes. All right. 
I gotta buy Alyssa and uh, Taylor and Eric some pizza. I promise to get those guys pizza. What about the rest of us? No pizza for You can us? get your own pizza. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen your revenue numbers. <laughs> you can afford pizza. I got all these people now. I can't afford anything. <laughs> Homeless. Uh, yeah, it's not. I'm not going to drive you guys out to Brooklyn, which is no. where you have to go to get really good pizza. But I'm sure Manhattan will have something better than you know whatever it is good southern down. state those guys are coming from. I got to figure out too. Like so, the day before is a whole userscape day. Well, pretty much, we have like a speakers dinner that night. Like. I gotta figure out what to do. Like, there's so much stuff you can do that I don't know what to do. Like, I want to get it all set up, like what we're gonna actually do, so that we can like just know where we're going and not just like because otherwise, you know, in New York, you just spend the whole time like wandering around, like where we're we gonna go now. And so I want to like pick like because a lot of them have never been to New York. Mm-hmm. So I want to like pick two things that are like would be awesome to do, but I don't know what those two things should be. Like, there's just too many things to do. Take them to Hooters. <laughs>